Hello, 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 and welcome to Canadian Made. My name's Olivia, and each week we are going to go behind the scenes of the Canadian entertainment industry to get into the weeds of how things get made and the people who make them. I'm so excited to be launching this show because uh, I love the entertainment industry, and I'm really looking forward to connecting with other people who love it just as much as I do. So a little bit about me. I, uh, I'm a Canadian entertainment lawyer in Toronto, but I wasn't always. I did a bit of acting and worked in casting for a time. So um, I've seen a lot of sides of the industry, but not everything. And I'm, and I'm really excited to learn the stories that, you know, you don't get to hear because they're behind the camera. Today on the podcast, we have Misha Solomon. He is the director of scripted development at Wham Media. He is such a joy to speak to because he really talks us through getting into development and excelling in, in development. And a little bonus is that he was an EP on the murders. And so we really get into the weeds of that. And that's a lot of fun. So without further ado, let's get into it. So I should say that Misha and I know each other uh, very briefly from my time at Muse Entertainment, but obviously your time was much more, much longer, and uh, you did a lot more things than I did. I was but a lonely legal intern, um, and you you worked your way up the, up the ladder, but we'll talk about Muse, but first I want to know about, you know, baby Misha and what your dreams and aspirations were and why you got wanted to get involved in the entertainment in entertainment industry in the first place. Um, well, um, yes, let's do talk about Muse. Specifically, I my my clearest memory of you from Muse involves um your your garden party lunches. I remember being very impressed by the by the the healthfulness of your lunches, just like full peppers, full of carrots at the lunch table. But anyway, um so baby Misha, um I I mean I think I was always interested in in I, I liked watching movies and TV broadly. That's not a very, you know, groundbreaking or fascinating uh statement. Um but when I was little I actually wanted to be a zoologist. I was obsessed with animals and obsessed with memorizing animal taxonomies. Um and so I think that that ended up sort of um combining with a love of TV and for a while I think I did want to be like the first Jewish Steve Irwin. I don't know. I felt like I, I did want to, I, I had this, I had, someone had aspirations of being, of combining animals and television, um, like Steve Irwin, like Jeff Corbin. And um, then as I got older, I, you know, stayed really interested in those animal things and zoology, but also got more and more into TV. I was, you know, pretty obsessive about keeping up with, TV shows, I mean, at the time, back in the 2000s, there weren't as many TV shows to catch up with. You know, it was still main network, and then there was, like, HBO and FX was newish. Um, but I was obsessed with keeping up with TV shows, um, and at, from quite a young age, uh, started interning in media. So right after high school, before I'm from Quebec, I'm from Montreal, so we have CJAP here. So between high school and CJAP, I actually went to Toronto, for a little bit and interned in the entertainment department for a newspaper and just was into exploring all of those different aspects of media. Um, and when I went away to college, to university, uh, I went to Columbia in New York and I studied 
um, evolutionary biology, which is really my like animal love coming back up. You know, a lot of classes about primate behavior. I wrote my thesis about monkey sex, essentially. Um, but I, while I was in New York, I was also interning for for Disney ABC Television for all these different um, for all these different uh, media companies um i realize this is sort of a broader I'm, I'm considering baby misha to be like up to the age of 22 that's you know it, <laughs> up to 25 we'll say when the, i think the brain starts developing at 25 so anything pre-25 is infancy i yeah i just i always i loved media and i don't know to be honest because people have asked me this people have asked me this before i don't know where the idea of tv development like got into my head i don't know how i really knew that existed because it's like not a it's not a job that gets talked about a lot but i just had i remember having this idea i think i started probably started reading deadline or something and just had this idea that like development was the thing that i wanted to do and so i think that in the back of my mind if i wasn't going to pursue an academic career which was an option i had this sort of tv development spark of an idea in my head yeah and it's funny because that's also why I wanted to talk to you today, because I remember during my time at Muse, and I, I was pretty familiar with the entertainment industry when I came to Muse, but I had no idea really about the world of development. So that was also part of like why I wanted to talk to you today was because I genuinely think that development is so under-discussed, but so fundamental really to like how anything gets made. Yeah. So moving into your time at Muse, perhaps, which for those people who don't know, is Canada one of Canada's leading uh, production houses. And of course, you scored this job right out of um, right out of your undergrad, right? Yeah, I did. So I finished my undergrad and um, had decided not to pursue academia at the time. Um, and um, I I loved my primates. I loved my evolution of biology. I loved my linguistics minor. But I just realized in writing my undergraduate thesis that like that just wasn't that it just wasn't I loved discovering the answers to questions I didn't necessarily love finding them myself through research so I I realized that um that maybe that the academic path wasn't for me just just yet at the time um and so I moved back to Montreal and sort of expected that maybe I would land in Toronto just knowing that that's I had interned twice in Toronto in the past in media and knowing that's where you know, the heart of the industry was and uh, where I had some connections. Uh, but I sort of on a lark reached out to Muse Entertainment, which when I was Googling Montreal production companies came up and I was, you know, impressed by their credits and just decided to reach out to them. And it just so happened that, that at the time um, they were hiring uh, what was I called at the time? A marketing intern. Essentially, they were they were looking for someone to to work on the website, to rewrite a lot of the content for the website. And so, yes, a few weeks after I graduated college, um, or about a month after I graduated college, if we're being real and honest, um, I started uh, on a I think it was like a two or three month contract at Muse um, that was mostly just around. Um, editing and rewriting sections of the website, and then that. Uh, when that was up, they wanted to keep me on, um, and I wanted to stay on. There was no real clear place for me at the time. Like, th there wasn't. So they sort of created this role that, I, uh, again, and I forget even what the title was. I think it was media coordinator. To be honest, I don't remember what I was supposed to be doing in that role because very quickly, um, Jesse Prupis, who was and still is the um, SVP of development and distribution, his assistant um, left. And I had been actually not working that closely with Jesse during, during the website redesign, but he and I worked a little bit together. We had a good rapport. And 
he was in development, what I wanted to be doing, and um, was really great about sort of looping me into that even when I was just an intern. And also, by total coincidence, he and I had gone to the same high school and, and university, and so there was a connection there as well. And so when his assistant left, I just moved into that role and became his assistant. And then, um, I mean, the, the rest is history in terms of I was his assistant working in development and distribution, became his executive assistant, which it was not, nothing mean, yeah. other than I got executive <laughs> in my title, um, and then um, became a development executive um, when uh, after I'd been an assistant for a little while. And I, I mean, I can get into that story also if you want. Yeah, I do. I think it's, I, I also feel like you're underselling a little bit how uh, much of a hard worker you are, because I think that a lot of people can start off as interns and not have like the same success. And um, like, you just like really flourished at news, I feel, Muse, I feel, and you were, you were kind of a superstar. So thank you. I feel like you're underselling yourself a little bit there. <laughs> thank you. No, I mean, thank you. That's very kind. Um, no, I, I think that, I think that I did prove myself and I think that I was what I liked and I think that people there you know just saw that I could do the things that I that I wanted to be doing um and that I had a good I think a good sort of eye and ear or whatever senses are required for for development I did do and did have sort of a a pretty encyclopedic knowledge of television broadly just because I like memorizing lists of things yeah so I I was I was a a development uh, I was an assistant focusing really on development and distribution and then um I ended up having to sub in for the develop- director of development at the time, Emma Hartley, who was great and who was also like so, so great about involving me in development things at the time. And and she, um, at the last minute, couldn't go to a conference that uh, at Kids Screen in Miami, which is a youth and, and kids and animation conference in Miami. She couldn't go. And so I was subbed in to go with Jesse because there were a ton of meetings that one person couldn't take alone. And so sort of by dint of needing to not be an assistant at this conference became a development executive um and went to this conference all of a sudden with sort of a a a portfolio of projects to talk about and and um and that was a really fun and wild first experience in terms of just being thrown into conferences which are such a which such a major part of the industry and are have been you know on, on pause for the last two years uh but generally are a big part of my my job yeah, because I remember you um, always jetting off to different places, and I thought that that was really cool. And now in a post-COVID world, obviously, I'm sure that looks really different, and your job is going to be forever changed yeah. um, by COVID. But I always thought that that was a really cool feature of like really getting to go out there and talk to people and meet you know, writers and directors. That was always something that seemed really, really interesting. Yeah, I think that even, I mean, and we're talking pre-COVID here, but I think there was this sort of old-fashioned conference culture to to the industry that I think in a lot of other industries had already started moving away from pre-COVID because conferences are are, are expensive and time-consuming and all that. But I think that there was this belief in in the industry that that that, that face-to-face time was really important. And also because so much of the industry is is held up by these international connections, it was just one of the only ways to, to really meet people was to go to these these conferences and I mean there was Banff, there was there were conferences in Miami, there was obviously conferences in in, in Cannes and, and and London. Um and to go to these conferences and really have FaceTime with people, meet people, talk about projects, discover new projects. I mean, this doesn't sound like the most creative part of the job, but all of this was was part of knowing what it was. I, I should be developing what it was I could be developing and finding projects to develop, you know, in collaboration with international partners or, or writers who are at these conferences as well. 
So what do you feel like either make you a good development executive or makes a good development executive? Like what, what are you looking for? I guess is, is my question. So I, I often say that the reason that I like development and I think this, this is also the reason I think I'm, I'm good at development is that, um, I love creativity and I love rules. And so I think a lot of what development is, is applying rules to, to creativity, to, to helping creatives, because I'm not a true creative in my role, but helping creatives um, find ways to take, to make the purest version of their ideas sellable and uh, producible and marketable in some ways and collaborative with the other aspects of the industry. And so you know, I love, I have creative side projects on, on my own, unrelated to the industry. Um, but when it comes to the industry, I really like, I think it's important for a development executive to be able to have a good sense of, of what makes a good TV show. Obviously, that's that's the, the sort of the, the bare minimum as a development, as a development executive or director, or whatever it is that I'm, whatever the title is, I'm working with, with creatives to make something that's going to become a television show. And so at the most basic level and the most common thing that happens is I get sent a script and I have to decide if it's, if I want to option or not. That's, I mean, that's the, the simplest a- aspect of it. And the only skill involved in, in that is we'll be able to, being able to read quickly helps, um, but also being able to just have a sense of what's, what's good and not just what's good in a sort of pure platonic goodness way, but what's good in terms of what's going to work on in the market today or what's going to what isn't in the market today but could break through and is needed and more specifically what's going to work in the market that you have access to right so depending on where i'm working depending on my role i have an understanding of who the buyers that i am going to successfully sell to are i'm not going to be trying to 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 do something that's going to work that another production company would be able to do, but my production company just isn't set up to do. And so there's a lot of these rules, a lot of these sort of thought matrices that go into the sort of just the pure creative joy of, do I want to be working on this television show? And so I really love the the combination of of the two. And I think that that's, um, I think that that skill is really important for a development executive to be able to both follow your instincts um, in terms of this is good because sometimes it, it's not going to respond to these criteria that you have in your head, but your your instinct is so strong that you can you can think like okay I can find a way to to push this through, um, or to be able to not follow your sort of creative instinct to be able to say I love this but this isn't right for us for me for the time. Yeah. So if I can pick on one of your particular projects, um, and maybe you can tell the journey of the show and how you came to find it and and what your role ended up being, because I remember actually when I was at Muse, you had just sold the murders. Um, It was in its very, very new stages. So I'm curious if you can kind of talk us through as an example, um, yeah, came to be. Yeah. I mean, the murders is a great case study, a great case study in development because there were a lot of interesting elements that went into it um and so to go from the very beginning in in late summer or early fall of 2017 i was sent a script by alana miller who's an agent at the jennifer hollier agency um and a dear friend um and so alana knew uh 
pursuant to a meeting at Banff, which is a huge and important conference in, in both the Canadian industry and the, the international industry. So pursuant to a meeting with Alana at Banff, um, where I had been clear that I was looking for, for procedurals with a new twist, that I wanted to be able to sell these procedurals that work really well on Canadian television, but do one in a, in, in, in a way that um, would be new and fresh and also explore um, underrepresented voices or identities and explore stories that were interesting and that sort of could give Canadian audiences their 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 medicine, their 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 represent their their on learning about new things uh, wrapped in a sort of conventional candy package. And so, uh, a few months later, or Alana sent me a script, a pilot by Damon Vignale, who called the murders. Um, and I remember sitting in a cafe at the time I worked from home on Fridays, uh, which were like my reading days. Um, and I remember sitting in a cafe back when I did that. Um, and, uh, reading the pilot of the murders and just feeling like it was the best crime pilot I had ever read. It actually wasn't a procedural. It was a serialized serial killer story at the time. Um, but it was just such a compelling pilot with such an interesting um, lead character. And um, I was just really hooked and wanted to know more. And I, I don't often, you know, you often you don't often have that sort of surge when you read a pilot of just really wanting to know what was going to happen next and really feeling like I saw I saw the show, even though I knew that at the time I couldn't sell a serialized serial killer project. This was sort of, at the time, the wave of these Nordic noir serial killer things was kind of ending. Um, this was before they were sort of revived by Netflix docuseries, but at the time it was sort of over. The, the networks I knew weren't looking for serial killer content, and they were really not really looking for serialized drama. They were really looking for procedural drama, um, but there didn't seem to be a reason why the, the investigators in, in the murders, why the detectives in the murders couldn't be transitioned into something more serialized. Um, and, you know, I also loved the opportunity for representation with the show because Damon Vignale is himself biracial and the lead character, Kate Jamison, was written as a biracial female lead, which was, I thought, really interesting. And that was a, an interesting part of her identity that was coming from a place of, of personal experience for Damon. Um, and so I asked to get on a call with Damon to just see if he'd be open to adjusting the pilot for, for us um, because we thought that we could sell a... Um, a serial, uh, not a serialized, a procedural version uh, of the show, and and this was, at the time Emma Hartley was still at the company, and and Jesse Purpose was still was it was well he is still at the company, but was involved, and everyone just saw the promise in this project um, after I had shared it with the team, and so Damon was I remember having a great conversation with Damon. He was really open to 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 exploring the procedural aspect, and as long as the world of his show was was intact, and I, I didn't want the world of the show to change. I, I loved the world of the show. And so he went in and, and changed the changed it to be sort of a, to be a more of a closed-ended pilot that would lead to a, a procedural series. Uh, we optioned the project, and uh, we pitched it to, to a few Canadian networks. Um, Natalie and Rodriguez at Rogers um, loved the project, and, and Rogers came in and, uh, and, picked it up for development. Um, and so we wrote 
um, a second script that was with, uh, we had a little writer's room in Toronto with Damon Vignale and Karen Hill. This is all just to give a sense of, of the development process. I went to Toronto and sat sat in a room eating snacks with Damon and Karen um, for a few days in Toronto um, while we broke the, the second episode. So while we talked about what the second episode could look like, and then Damon went off and wrote the second episode, which was part of the development process, as well as um, an expanded version of, of the pitch that existed so into a more so writing a, a bible a show bible a series bible for the project and that was all part of the development process funded by by rogers um and then at the end of that process rogers decided that they wanted to put the show into production and so they they decided to green light the show um it's not actually quite that simple in terms of when they want to greenlight the show. Muse, then the production company, has to make sure that all of the you know financing ducks are are, are in a row, and that was a, a whole um, complicated process that I was partially involved in, but wasn't the, the heart of my responsibilities. Um, and um, but once all everything got came, came together, we were cooking with gas and. Um, and then I remember, I think when you were when you were at Muse, which was I think the summer of 2018. Yes, that's right. right. Yeah, the green the light is so good. Um, thank you. I try. The green light. Um, your lunch is memorable. The green light. Um, <laughs> the green light was 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 finalized. And at the time, I think I was going. I went to Vancouver once that summer to hire some some um, department heads and and to get our production stuff up and running and then was back at Muse working on that, but also other projects in preparation for leaving for Vancouver in September for prep and, and production. So then is it, so then you ended up being a co-executive producer on the murders. Yes. Right. But that's not necessarily normal. Right. So what was, what was uh, that? What was the situation with that? Yeah. So depending on the size of the company, depending on the company's vibe, sometimes development people, um, are really only involved in in development. So they they really are only involved in these initial stages of a show. Um, so everything up to working with the writers or sometimes ideating concepts and then attaching writers to them. But these really um, fundamental and 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 sort of seed parts of the show. Um, and then they work with the writers to polish the pitches, to polish the scripts, to pitch to network, to 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 work with the network to develop the show, all of this. But then when the show gets greenlit, it's like, or even before the show gets greenlit, when the development phase is over, it's no longer their responsibility. It moves over to the to production people or to salespeople or, or, or to just the production team. Um, at Muse, there was sort of a, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't a sort of hard and fast rule about that. Um, but generally, people who develop projects somewhat followed them into, into actual production, especially when it came to TV movies, when the production phases were are, are short enough, that was fairly easy to, to do um, for someone to just jump onto a two-week shoot. Um, the Murders was, was a much longer shoot than that. It was eight episodes. Um, but it was sort of always understood that, um, especially as development got as I got really into development, it was understood that if the show were to move forward, especially because production was going to be in Vancouver, um, that I would be following the show into production, um, which was a really unique and special opportunity, especially at that stage of my career. Um, and yeah, and, and so the co-executive producer was my credit on the show, my actual like 
my actual job on set and during production would would be considered more of a of a creative producer. And so essentially, I was um, Muse's representative for all creative decisions on set um, and in production. Um, and obviously, that also involves some budgetary thinking as well and budgetary, you know, making sure that things were 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 okay uh, as we were as we were in production. But I was in no way the the line producer. I mean, we had we had amazing production people who are really watching the budget, who are making the who are you know figuring out all of the logistical aspects. I can't claim to have to to understand or have done have done that stuff. Um, I was really just. I was, I mean, I was doing a lot, a lot of things. I don't want to undersell what I was doing, but it was everything from the scripts to costume to, to set design. All of that was just putting, I was, I was sort of the, the person along with Damon, who was the showrunner, um, who was approving of a lot of, uh, all of those decisions and, and giving my input and being on set and making sure that everything was running smoothly, watching cuts. So all of those all of those creative elements that go into the show, I was the, the, the person on the ground speaking to those elements. It's, I always find producer credits to be so elusive because sometimes it can be that they, you know, that they're literally just a financier and they have total hands free of the actual production. Um, but of course, that wasn't your experience. So I always find it really, really interesting to find out what it means or what it meant to that person to get an, a producer credit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's it's so true because there's this sort of set list of options in terms of producer credit, um, but they don't correspond to actual. None of them really correspond to actual jobs, save for um, in Canada generally on a TV show, the only person with the credit of produced by or producer is the actual line producer so our like our line producer our producer Arielle Boisvert who was incredible she was the only real producer of this of the show so she was the person doing all of the you know nitty-gritty production aspects of the show she was leading all of that but all of the other credits I mean for instance co-executive producer so I think we had I think I was one of two co-EPs the other co-EP Karen Hill um was um, a writer on the show was sort of was Damon's right hand in a lot of ways in in the writing room was involved from the development stage. I mentioned that I was you know in that Toronto room eating snacks with Karen and Damon breaking the second episode. So Karen was integral to the show. Was in Vancouver for the writers' room and for the first half of production, and so was on set for for some of the blocks. But obviously her role was extremely different from just as integral, but extremely different from mine, but we had the same, we had the same credit co-executive producer. And that's just a, that's a question of contract negotiation. That's a question of all sorts of things that are unrelated to the actual work um, on set, because there are only an, a certain number of producer titles that sort of exist when the credits roll. Yeah, it, exactly. I think that's like such a good example of how different the producers really are and how you know you're you're essentially doing the same or you have the same title as someone but are doing a completely different job so it's yeah it's really interesting that must have been so exciting for you to you know be behind the scenes in so many projects and then actually get to go to vancouver and watch it unfold in front of you that must have been like you must have been like a proud father in that moment of that show <laughs> yeah no I, yes it was it was extremely exciting it was also you know at the time i, I had only um 
know, this was 2018, and I started at Muse in, in 2014, and so it all happened pretty quickly. And even the one thing I should also specify is that the murders, although it is a really interesting and, and you know fun case study, was not normal in terms of the 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 rapidity at which the speed at which it went into production. And so I was sitting in the cafe reading the script, like I said, in late summer or early fall 2017. And we were in production a year later, which is pretty unheard of, especially in, in Canada where things tend to move pretty slowly. Um, and uh, I, you know, just the timing, everything lined up. Um, Rogers needed a show. We had a good show to offer. Like everything lined up for this to happen really quickly. But generally things can take years to, to move from development into production. And so this was a really sped up process. So yes, it was it was so cool to see um, this project that I had worked so closely on and, and with the creators um, and then be able to actually watch it come to life, um, especially because, you know, we had S S Jessica Lucas, for instance, who played our lead, was someone who we had talked about from the earliest from the earliest days of the project as someone who we, we we imagined in the lead role and so to watch all of these things come to life and come to fruition was was really uh incredible hmm. so moving slightly from your time at use to wham media now it's my understanding that wham media was its bread and butter was more in scripted uh, unscripted content and that they brought you on to be uh the director of uh, scripted development to really enhance and, and push them into the scripted world. Yeah, that's correct. So um, when I when I was brought onto WAM in 2019, they brought me on to launch their scripted their scripted development department. In essence, um, and so yeah, previously they had done unscripted lifestyle doc content, um, most well known for uh, most well known recently for the detectives on CBC, which was partially scripted in that it was each episode was this was a, a really important case in a detective's career and it was full of recreation but like high quality recreation that was essentially fully scripted drama intercut with you know to camera interviews with the detectives and so because of that experience some Canadian buyers had asked them if they were pitching scripted shows and they realized that they wanted to but didn't have the bandwidth to, to be doing that. And so they brought they brought me on uh, to launch that department. And um, so, yes, that was a, a very different experience to Muse in that Muse was a, a company that was already doing a lot of scripted development, mostly scripted, scripted development and production. And I sort of joined the company um, in media rest, you know, while, while things were going on, whereas it was at Wham, I mean, obviously there were other things going on at the company. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was there for the foundation of the company, but I was brought on to, to, to build something from the ground up in terms of, in terms of the scripted development slate. And so I guess if I, if this isn't too broad a question, what was your, what was your vision and your hope, I guess, and what you've been doing for the last two years at Wham and what you hope to do at the future with Wham? Yeah, so it's been a, it's been a very interesting. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard, but there's been a, a global <laughs> pandemic, um, known virus. Yeah. Um, so it's um, it's been a very uh, it's been a very interesting two years at Wham. In that um, I was at the company for about six months before everything shut down, oh, wow. and so a lot of this a lot of the foundational 
things that would normally go into launching a scripted development slate. For example, a big sort of LA coming out trip um, to meet with to meet with buyers and, and things like that. That that never happened. We were planning that for spring um, twenty twenty, and the world happened. And so um, there were we had optioned a few projects, and actually I had sold a project into into network development really quickly when I had started at WAM. So a few months after I started, we, we had a project that actually was my first experience with the project essentially selling in the room. We got a call a couple days later saying they wanted to put it into development. And so that all moved really quickly and that was great. And, and thankfully that when things shut down, we have things on the go. It's not like we had we, we didn't have anything, but we, we had sort of just completed phase one in some ways of, of what we wanted out of our development. We had about five projects optioned. We had you know, gone to a couple conferences, but we weren't expecting, obviously no one was expecting, but we weren't expecting things to, 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 to slow down in the way they, they did. And so over the, over the past year and a half now, it's been a very different world for development. There haven't been these in-person conferences. Um, obviously for the first part of the pandemic, there wasn't really in-person production. And so there was a huge backlog at that at the network level in terms of um, putting new projects into development and production because there were things that they had on the slate for years that hadn't been made yet. Um, and so uh, it's been a very different experience, to, to say the least. Um, and, uh, and, and in terms of vision, I would say that the vision hasn't really changed. I've just had to sort of adapt to the times. But really what I've been tr trying to do is, is develop projects for the canadian market i think I, the the company and and my and me uh, we're very passionate about finding projects for the canadian market we're very passionate about finding projects ideally that have montreal as part of the dna of the project um not always but that's great uh and i'm really passionate in the companies too but finding projects that um you know in the same vein as the murders but even pushing further that really um allow for new representational elements. Um, and so working with creators from underrepresented communities, uh, both on screen and off screen, and making sure that that that, that we're um, really representing the broad the broadness of of Canada's population and and that we're exploring these uh, you know contemporary issues. Um, and these contemporary identities um, in in an interesting and respectful and representationally accurate way with creators who are actually from uh, those communities. That's amazing. So if, you know, there's like a, a baby Misha out there who's listening, who's hearing everything that you're up to and thinking, wow, this is such a great career, you know, what advice would you give to them about breaking into um the industry with the goal of being working in development. Um, yeah, I think that I think the one thing that I often have told people is just like read deadline. <laughs> um, I think that it, it's always it's amazing how people in the industry aren't as on top of these these sort of the news of the industry as they as they could or should be. And so you know, check out Deadline, check out Hollywood Reporter, Variety, Playback in Canada. Um, um, and just be on top of what's actually going on in the world of development. The world of development is often a world that's hard to 
be on top of because not everything is announced when especially in canada we don't press release our development and so you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes and in the states you don't always know what's being developed you you hear about things when they're in production or uh, most of the time but you can catch glimpses and of the of trends if you read if you read a lot of these news sources so i think yes be aware of the of the of that of those industry sources and also just be aware of what's on television i mean i, I was always i i remember you know interviewing um development um development interns and i i often asked you know what are you what are you watching right now like wh what do you like and i think that I, I was always really interested to hear the answers and i think what's what's important in development is to actually be to, to watch things that are um new and, and buzzy and i think that right now because of the accessibility of streaming services there's often often people will just you know be watching the office right which is which is obviously a, a, a classic but hasn't been on in, in a number of years and isn't necessarily representative of what's on today and so it's great to be it's great to have to to know your to know your recent hits and your you know classic hits pre-office and all that um, but it's also important to just be up on what's airing and being developed and being put into production right now um and so not just be watching back catalog content on streaming services but actually be watching um new programming on network tv on premium tv on cable tv and on streaming tv which is obviously a time consuming and and, and expensive um proposition in, in in terms of accessing all of those all of those services and that's why reading about these concepts reading about them for free on deadline and variety and hollywood reporter and and, and well playback some of these some of these sites are paywalled but reading as much as you can for free um and then deciding you know selectively and skillfully what to actually access for for pay um is is important you know what that's actually honestly hand on heart some of the best advice i've heard about breaking into the industry and i'll tell you why because it's so practical you know like i think so often people just give you like high level ideas but actually um one an entertainment lawyer i spoke to before i got a job in entertainment law told me the same thing she said just subscribe to deadline to playback and i actually ended up finding my job on playback because i was like reading it all the time i was looking at yeah. the careers and it, and you're so right it's just about being in the industry and seeing like what's what's hot really um for lack of a better word and um so it, it really is such good advice like just get involved and if you can't you know get the job yet there's a lot of ways to be involved in the industry as a as a consumer of the industry Exactly. Yeah, and I think I think for development, that's that's definitely the, the the most important the most important thing. And and I think it's also just about finding. And then when you actually want to get that job or get that internship, it's about finding a company that that is of interest to you, that is doing things that you find interesting, but also that just a company where you're going to have an opportunity to to break in in a department that is somewhat related to development. Because often these there are that many people working in development development so i think sometimes you don't expect to have a development job right off the bat um but there's lots of there's lots of ways in and around development that don't have the word development in them right away i think that the work that you know that the canadian industry is doing to 
bring Canadian uh, shows up and get them made is, is there's so much talent here and, you know, I want to see them succeed. And I love that. I love what you're doing. And, um, I was so fortunate to talk to you today. So thanks for coming on. And, um, this was so much fun. Thank you so much. This was great. It was a uh, great to reconnect via video podcast. <laughs> So that was our episode for today. If you enjoyed it, please let us know. You can send us a message on Instagram at Canadian Made Podcast or send us an email at CanadianMadePodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out and tell us what you most enjoyed about this episode with Misha. But until then, we will see you next Wednesday 